real news. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So today is the 23rd of December, 2019. You can hear me. I can't hear me. Uh, I had to kind of bootstrap this and kind of move it around in a certain way. So I'm hoping that you can all hear me since I can't hear myself. Um, Now, I'm going to start today with a little bit of Christmas music before we get on with things. So that way I can just make sure that I'm streaming. And I mean, nothing better than a little bit of Michael Buble, right? So let's take a listen to that. for presents. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on our troubles will be miles away. golden days of yours, faithful friends who are dear to us, gather near to us once more, through the years we all will be together. If the faith love hang a shining star upon the highest bar, and have yourself a merry little Christmas now. That's it. So I'm just going to keep talking even though I can't hear myself. And hopefully you could tell me if the sound is coming in good. Um, I guess today I had a little bit of a delay on connecting to the server and getting things done. But I'm learning how to use these systems pretty well. So I'm really getting there. (laughs) So what are we going to talk about today? We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, See, last week we had Space Force done. I don't think people understand just how important Space Force is. Uh, if you remember last week, I said 
that the Air Force, the Navy, the Army, they all don't want to share. They don't want to hand over information to Space Force. And you have to think, why don't they want to share information? I mean, what's the big deal, right? We just want to see the facilities. We just want to, you know, just hand them over. Are they hiding anything? Or are they just worried who's going to get it? Which is more than likely what the thing is all about. But before we get into talking about Space Force that already existed, that a lot of people don't know about, um, it's been around for a while, you guys. A very, very long time. And a lot of people don't even know that it existed. Everyone keeps thinking that anything with space had to do with NASA, and you're wrong. So now that Space Force has been officially created, we're very, very close to a lot of disclosures, and we'll discuss that. But what I want to do is talk about this faux impeachment, this buying time, this let's negotiate, this let's push and try to negotiate with President Trump so he doesn't get us all. And again, those claiming Soros, this, that, Soros is a nothing burger compared to who they are. Pelosi is a nothing burger to who they are. Last week, I pretty much said, this is where all your money's going. It's a private company. And you know, today, I was uh, meddling around um, with my... Um, cell phone provider i use google fi i had someone say are you plugging google and it's like uh dude that was like automated because i was like clicking on things but regardless i'm super happy with their service so for those of you that think that google's the problem you have no idea you have no idea what's behind higher than google google is a massive company but so is at&t so is direct tv because direct tv is at&t right? They're all monopolizing globally. That was the purpose, to be global, global. Because there's already a global spy agency, an agency that knows everybody's face, fingerprints, iris scans, DNA across the planet. Yeah, how does that make you feel knowing that everywhere you go, they actually have your information? Not too, not too good especially when it's a private company. And then think about it. How are they regulated? If they were regulated, we wouldn't have this coup. Just saying. So let's start first with Sunday's interview of Lindsey Graham with Baratomo. Now, the more I look at Lindsey on TV, the more I don't like him. More. Like, more, more. But listen to what he says. It's interesting. Yeah. Thank you. Your reaction to what Nancy Pelosi is doing. Have you heard from Nancy Pelosi? Are you getting the articles of impeachment in the Senate? <laughs> well, my reaction is that uh, she's taking a wrecking ball to the Constitution. This is the latest in this series of constitutional train wrecks orchestrated by Nancy Pelosi. During the impeachment process, the president was not allowed to have counsel present during the Intel Committee. He could not call witnesses on his behalf. He could not confront his accuser. And now that he's been charged with two articles of impeachment, Nancy Pelosi is denying the president his day in the court in the Senate, and she's actually trying to tell Mitch McConnell how to run the Senate. Uh, she's trampling on the separation of powers. It's the Senate's job 
to dispose of impeachment articles once passed by the House. It's not Nancy Pelosi's job. When it comes to Trump, the rules don't matter to Democrats, and that's dangerous and sad. I mean, how is this going to play out? We spoke yesterday. You said this was like extortion. Explain that. It is. Well, what she's trying to do is to get Mitch McConnell to bend to her will to shape the trial. Can you imagine if the roles were reversed? You had a uh, Democratic president impeached by a Republican House, and the Republican speaker was telling a Democratic majority leader how to run the trial. You know, the media is so in the tank when it comes to Trump. Democrats hate him so much, they don't love anything uh, constitutional anymore. All the rules have been thrown in a ditch to get Trump from the way they impeached him to now denying his day in court. Here's how it's going to end. She'll eventually send the articles because public opinion will crush the Democrats. you got the minority leader, Chuck Schumer, conspiring with the uh, Speaker of the House, basically, to insist upon calling witnesses that deny. The president is invoking executive privilege around Mulvaney and John Bolton and others. They impeached this president because he chose to go to the court. Second article of impeachment is obstruction of, of Congress. The president has claimed executive privilege, and instead of allowing the president to exercise his legal rights, they've impeached him because he wanted to go to court. Can you imagine what would have happened if we'd done this to a Democrat, that we impeach a Democrat because they wanted to go to court? Yeah, it, it's pretty extraordinary. Uh, so, so do you expect that there will be witnesses in a Senate trial? Can you walk us through how the uh, Senate trial No, will I don't. Let yep. me, okay. To any senator who votes to compel the testimony of John Bolton or Mick Mulvaney before the president can have his day in court exercising executive privilege before the courts, the courts available to every American, including Donald Trump. So if you call these witnesses who work for the president after he's invoked executive privilege, if you deny him his day in court, then you're abusing the constitutional rights of Donald Trump as president, and you're putting the entire presidency at risk. I can't imagine any senator doing this to the presidency. Yeah. What, what did they impeach him for, Maria? They impeached him because he wanted to go to court. Instead of allowing the president to go to court to exercise executive privilege, they put an artificial time limit and said, if you don't allow these witnesses to come to the House at a time certain, we're going to impeach you. They impeached him for, for exercising his legal rights. I hope senators will not do the same thing. hope the senators will not vote to compel witnesses before the court determines whether or not there's executive privilege. All right. I, I want to move on to Pfizer, but real quick, how long would you expect a Senate trial to go? When you go back to Clinton, what was it, two weeks? Yeah, I, I think what's going to happen is going to be exactly like the Clinton trial. The House managers will argue the case to the Senate based on the record established at the House. And one of the reasons she's not sending these impeachment articles over is because her case is so weak and shaky. But what happened in Clinton, they argued the facts accumulated by the House. Witnesses were requested. They were denied along party lines. Yeah. There were no witnesses. Then we voted. That's what's going to happen here. And you were a House manager back then. Yeah, so I made the case based on what we did in the House. Then we requested witnesses. The Senate refused to allow witnesses. Then they voted on the articles of impeachment. Schumer says he wants a process like Clinton. That's exactly what he wants to get. But when it comes to Senator Schumer and his colleagues, they could care less if they're trampling on the rights of Donald Trump. 
this president is wanting to invoke executive privilege. The question, will the Senate deny President Trump the ability to invoke executive privilege, or will they run over his right to uh, invoke executive privilege and force the witnesses to come anyway? The House just impeached him because he wanted to go to court. This is the first time a president's ever impeached because he insisted insisted on going to court. This is dangerous. Senator, do you know who the House managers are this time around? No, I'm sure it will be the, you know, Schiff Nadler show. Okay. You know, I I supported Mueller's investigation because I took it seriously. This stuff from the beginning has been partisan. I'm glad you mentioned Mueller because I have an op-ed here from the journal this weekend, and it's called Robert Mueller's Dossier Dodge. And, you know, it's asking the question, uh, (laughs) the same question that I asked throughout the Mueller trial. uh, I'm sorry, the Mueller hearing. And it was basically, how is it even possible that Robert Mueller can sit there and, and testify to what took place in 2016 in terms of Russian meddling without looking at the dossier. But over and over again, he said that the dossier was not in his purview, that it wasn't his mandate. Now we know from the IG report that, in fact, the dossier was a, quote, essential part of the wiretap warrant that they got, the warrant to wiretap an innocent American citizen, and that is Carter Page. What is your reaction to that, that Mueller refused to talk about the dossier, even though now we know it was essential for them getting that wiretap? He was the former FBI director. He spent $40-plus million on this Mueller probe. Shouldn't he have known that? Yeah, I don't see how you can, <clears throat> can investigate the 2016 Trump-Russian allegations without looking at the dossier. I don't know how you can move forward once the dossier collapsed regarding Carter Page. So the Horowitz report is the first step in a long journey recording regarding FISA abuse. The FISA court rebuked the FBI. That is a great start. They came down hard on the FBI. If they had failed to do that, I would have lost all confidence in the court. Comey said last week he was sorry. It was sloppy. No, Comey, it wasn't sloppy. It was criminal. I'm going to call every person who signed the warrant application. I'm going to find out why Brennan went to Harry Reid in September of 2016 to talk about the investigation. I'm going to find out why it took two years for Mueller to realize there was no there there. We're going to look long and hard at FISA abuse. We're going to pass laws to make sure this never happens again. Accountability will only be successful if somebody gets fired, and I'm looking at Christopher Wray, uh, to fire somebody at the FBI, and somebody needs to go to jail, and I'm looking at Durham to hold people criminally accountable for the laws they broke. Well, you make a good point, and we've got to... Sorry, I had to interject here. So he's telling everyone what needs to happen. I'm going to play that part again because it's important because this is how Lindsey Graham, because we're monitoring everything, tells his people what needs to happen in order to make this go away. Harry Reid in September of 2016 to talk about the investigation. I'm going to find out why it took two years for Mueller to realize there was no there there. We're going to look long and hard at FISA abuse. We're going to pass laws to make sure this never happens again. Accountability will only be successful if somebody gets fired and I'm I want to see who's going to get fired, and I'm looking at Ray. Looking at Christopher Ray uh, to fire somebody at the FBI. So I'm looking at him to fire somebody. So there's some bodies, not somebody. And somebody needs to go to jail, and I'm looking at Durham to hold people criminally accountable for the laws they broke. 
So he wants people to be held criminally accountable for the laws they broke. Now, I'll have you know that most of the people on Mueller's team that helped make this farce happen departed. One of them actually departed at the beginning of this fake Russia hoax. And the others departed at the end of 2018. And all of these people, all of them attorneys or investigators, longtime FBI guys, have now moved on to a very massive, 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 public-facing, very well-known banking conglomerate. That's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks from me prior to it coming out to the surface unmasking all of these clowns that you don't even know who their name is. Well, you make a good point. And we've got a graphic here that shows everybody who signed those warrants. And you're saying each of these people, you're going to call down to testify. That includes, obviously, James Comey signed the warrant three times. Sally Yates signed it once. Yeah. You had Andrew McCabe, uh, yeah. his deputy, signing it. Um, yeah. Do we have that graphic? Sally Yates as well. All of those people, you say you are going to call to testify as you continue to do this deep dive yeah. into what took place in 2016. Yeah, there's two questions I want to ask these people. When you sign... First of all, I just wanted to say, um, you could hear Lindsey Graham make this sound... Uh, I don't know if the sound is coming as clear as my voice, but that was hilarious to listen to. Hopefully, uh, this will help better. I've tried to increase the volume the warrant application, how much time did you spend trying to figure out if it was actually true? And how far up the chain did this go? Did President Obama know about the counterintelligence surveillance of the Trump campaign? Did Vice President Biden know? How much information was provided to Susan Rice? I want to know how far up the chain the investigation went. I want to know why so many people could sign a warrant application so flawed. So there's a lot of questions. I want to make sure this never happens again. To the American people, you deserve better than this. Every American should be worried about FISA. And to this impeachment debacle, to my Democratic colleagues, yeah. impeachment is a dead cat. I want, I want Stop playing with it. Say it again, Senator. Impeachment is a dead cat. Stop playing with it. Bury it. It's going nowhere. Quit violating the Constitution. Give the President his day in court, and let's get this behind us so we can talk about things that people really care about in this country. Senator, I want to take a short break, but what you just said was really important. How high up the chain does it go? A lot of people keep telling me that the mastermind was at the CIA of, of uh, putting Trump into this whole Russia meddling hoax over the last three years. I want to talk about John Brennan when we come right back. Stay with us, Senator. Senator, a moment ago, we were uh, talking about the FISA abuse and this whole idea to insert Donald Trump's name into Russia meddling back in 2016. You said how high up the chain does it go. I want to take your attention to back of May of 2017 when Trey Gowdy was questioning then, uh, former CIA Director John Brennan. Listen to what he said. Watch. Do you know if the Bureau ever relied on a Steele dossier as, any, as part of any court filings, applications, petitions, pleadings? I have no awareness. Did the CIA rely on it? No. Why not? Because we, we didn't. We, it wasn't part of the corpus of intelligence uh, information that we had. 
Senator, you just heard it. That was May of 17. He said it wasn't part of the corpus of information we had. In fact, we know now from Michael Horowitz's IG report, which came out last week, that it was an essential, quote-unquote, essential part of the application for a wiretap on Carter Page. Your reaction? Well, number one, uh, it was a part of the intelligence assessment provided to President Trump in January of 2017. This is when Comey met privately with the president and said, I want you to know about this dossier. We can't verify it, but I want you to know about it. About it. I want to know, was the CIA part of an effort to get to the media the fact that Trump was under investigation? There was a lot of frustration by people at the FBI and other places that the storyline was not getting out. Christopher Steele went to every media outlet in the country to shop the dossier to try to get it out before the election. Brennan meets privately, I think, in September with Harry Reid, John Brennan, the CIA director. I want to know what role, if any, did the FBI and the CIA play in trying to get out the dossier, market the story that Trump was under investigation for colluding with the Russians. Remember, Harry Reid is the guy who hit himself in the face with a fairband. He was the guy that peddled it. He was the guy that left his job in D.C., because he was under an indictment, then he got cancer, then he hit himself in the face with a theraband, and now he and then he was flipping his flipping and flopping his lips just a couple weeks after I mentioned him on air uh, months and months ago. Now I want to tell you something. Brennan is saying the truth. The Steele dossier was not why they applied for the FISA warrant. That's actually factual. They already had a lot of information, and they knew that the President of the United States was going to take them down. They knew that there were a lot of people in a lot of places helping to get all the information needed so that way they can take the, the shadow government, the global one, down. So, in fact, he was being truthful that they were using the information that they were collecting via NSA collections. And this is why they went to the FISA court. The dossier was the public-facing excuse, might, might we say, right? The rubbish that they put, saying, oh, it's because of this we need it, when in actual fact it was all the spying that they did and what they uncovered that they needed. They knew she was going to lose, guys. They just didn't think she would. They knew that if it was an honest election... She would have lost so hard, it would have been very embarrassing. So a lot of money was thrown in, a lot of time was put in, and they knew that she was going to lose, so this is why they went to the FISA court. Because they said, if he wins, we're all going to hang. I think it was Hillary Clinton that actually said that, didn't she? Her own exact words, because they knew that they could not avoid what's coming. Now, Lindsey Graham may have cut himself a sweet deal not to go to jail because he was one of the clowns that peddled this dossier. And he took the Mueller investigation seriously, too. No matter how much cover they've thrown, we're 20 steps ahead of them. And they can hide in the nice, cushy offices of Charles Schwab, but we see them all. It looks like John Durham wants to know the same thing. John Durham has now requested, we understand, from the New York Times... 
that John Durham has asked for John Brennan's phone records and emails, and they want to know what exactly he was telling CIA staff in terms of this dossier. Was that perjury there? Did he just commit perjury in that May hearing? We'll let John Durham, uh, Durham decide that, but it's pretty odd to me for the CIA director to tell publicly under oath the public that the dossier had no part in the corpus of the intelligence being gathered when it was the central reason they got the FISA warrant against Carter Page. There's a disconnect there. Somebody's either really ignorant of what happened or they're trying to shade what happened. I think they never believed that there would be a Horowitz investigation. I think these people believed they would get away with it, and along comes Horowitz. What Horowitz told the American people is very damning. He told a story of manipulating evidence that continued to get a warrant against an American citizen. He told a story of hiding exculpatory information from the court to keep the investigation going. Why did they want to keep it going when it should have stopped? Because they hated Trump and they were out to get him. There's no other conclusion. Now, I want, to, I want to know how far up did this go? I want to know, did President Obama, was he aware of the counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign? And I'd be shocked if he was not. Yeah. And, and real quick, are you going to get back to looking at what you were talking about as priorities? And that was you wanted to know everything about the Bidens. You say that we're not going to see witnesses, likely not, in this upcoming impeachment right. trial. If you get through this quickly, it, what's your, what is your next priority? Aside from obviously the FISA abuse. I'm working with, thank you. Here's the question. You know, the Washington Post and New York Times and major media outlets in this country, uh, all the news organizations haven't spent 15 minutes or $15 looking at whether or not Hunter Biden, who received $50,000 a month from one of the most corrupt companies in the Ukraine, tried to stop the investigation once it was opened. Working with Senator Johnson and Grassley, I'm going to ask questions about the role Hunter Biden played after Burisma came under investigation after they raided the president of Burisma's home. He picks up the phone, he calls the State Department. If this had been Mike Pence's son, it'd be the most damning story in the history of America. They'd be challenging whether Mike Pence should even have Christmas Day with his son. So the double standard here is unbelievable. We will continue to look at the Hunter Biden uh, conflict of interest, whether or not he did anything inappropriate, what did Joe Biden do and when did he do it, because the American media will not. But we're not going to do it during impeachment. As I said before, impeachment uh, is a dead cat. It needs to be buried. And what they're doing to President Trump by denying him his day in court in the Senate is unconscionable. Yep. They're shredding the Constitution. I know you don't like Trump, but enough is enough. And I know that there's also an issue around China with Hunter Biden. He traveled on Air Force Two with his, his, then, no, his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, to China, and then received yeah. money yep. later. You know, I, I've known so, Joe Biden for a long time. I admire him. I like him. He's had a tragic life. But I, we're not going to let this go. Okay. Did, did Hunter Biden monetize the vice presidency? I don't know. Somebody needs to look. I can assure you if a Republican did this, they would be looking at us. Well, yeah, they would be looking at us. They would be looking at everyone. And they would be telling us just how important it is that we all look at us. <laughs> right? That's the way it would have been. But it's not the case now. So with Hunter Biden, that's another story. That's just showing that the Obama administration actually used their office, the people of the Obama administration, to make themselves wealthy. 
you need not look further than the people that were serving in the Senate. It's textbook, textbook, textbook. Besides, <laughs> they've been funneling our tax dollars to private organizations for decades now. The Obama administration just took it to the next level and they were sloppy because they were getting away with it and because they had so much control, they never thought that they would lose control. That's the thing. Now, in regards to these articles of impeachment, the dragging of the feet, I want you guys to pay attention and listen to what McConnell has to say. This is from this morning um, on Fox and Friends. Take a listen. So one of the most powerful people in the country. Uh, he is the author of The Long Game, a memoir now out in paperback with a brand new epilogue from him and a forward from President Trump. Uh, it is an excellent book, and I read it when it came out. And, uh, Senator, you had every reason to take today off, but you're here to tell America that you're still working. Uh, and, and first things first, are you surprised you haven't been handed the, impe the two impeachment articles from the Speaker? Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, the papers have to be physically brought over to the Senate, and we can't uh, go forward until <clears throat> until the Speaker does that. She's apparently trying to tell us how to run the trial. <laughs> well, uh, I, you know, I'm not anxious to have this trial, so she wants to hold on to the papers. That's, go right ahead. Well, Senator, why do you think she hasn't? Uh, she apparently believes that she can tell us how to run uh, the trial. Look. Mm -hmm. What I've been advocating to Senator Schumer is exactly the same way we handled the Clinton impeachment 20 years ago, which he voted for. You listen to the opening arguments, you have a written question period, and at that point in the Clinton trial, we had a decision about which witnesses to call, and as you can imagine, that was a pretty partisan exercise. But we didn't let the partisan part of it keep us from getting started. So all I'm doing is say right. what was good enough for President Clinton is good enough for President Trump. Leader, do you believe that if she doesn't hand them over, do you have the constitutional authority to hold a trial without her handing them over? I don't think so. I can't imagine what purpose is served by her holding on to the papers. So sooner or later, I'm assuming she's going to send them over. Well, Senator, you mentioned witnesses. What witnesses would you like to call? Look, what we need to do is to listen to the arguments, have a written questioning period, and then decide whether we need witnesses or not. You know, the House went ahead without witnesses. Uh, they didn't pursue any of the witnesses in court when the president did what every president since George Washington has done and exert executive privilege. Uh, what the Congress could have done is, the House could have done is to go to court to try to compel the attendance. They didn't do that. They just blew right through that and accused the president of uh, doing something improper by simply invoking executive privilege, which every president has done. So we know, too, uh, the delay is because it seems as though the, the speaker says, I won't uh, relay these articles until Mitch tells me the rules of the Senate. She goes on to say this in Politico, fear is never a word used with me. Is she, and the question was, is she fearful of you? You should know right away, I'm never afraid and I'm rarely surprised. So she's not afraid of you, and she's rarely surprised. We know that she's politically very astute. So my sense is perhaps she's waiting for more evidence or more witnesses to become available. I have no idea. Um, it seems to me a rather absurd position to say after you've impeached the president, you won't send the papers over. 
to the Senate for the impeachment trial mandated by the Constitution. Senator, uh, her counterpart, uh, Senator Schumer, had harsh words for you uh, this weekend. Let me play this before you can get your reaction. So far, Senator McConnell and President Trump have come up with no good reason why there shouldn't be witnesses, why there shouldn't be documents. We don't know what the witnesses will say. We don't know what the documents, how the documents will read. They might exonerate President Trump, or they might further incriminate him. Mitch McConnell has said he's proud to be a partial juror. He won't, the, we hold up, every senator has to uphold an oath to render impartial justice, and he said he's proud to be partial. That says it all. Senator, both your reaction and what was the last conversation you had with Senator Schumer? Well, first on the impartiality issue, do you think Chuck Schumer's impartial? Do you think Elizabeth no. Warren is impartial? No. Bernie Sanders is impartial? So let's quit the charade. This is a political exercise, a political exercise. All I'm asking of Schumer is that we treat Trump the same way we treated Clinton. We had a procedure that was approved 100 to nothing. Schumer voted for it to go through the opening arguments, to have a written question period, and then, based upon that, deciding what witnesses to call. We haven't ruled out witnesses. We've said, let's handle this case just like uh, we did with President Clinton. Fair is fair. Have you spoken recently, sorry, have you spoken recently with him? Yeah, before we left town. Uh, look, we're at an impasse. We can't do anything until the speaker sends the papers over, so everybody enjoy the holidays. <laughs> well, Senator, we've heard a lot about the Democrats running in districts that President Trump won, but, I mean, you have vulnerable Republicans that you're looking to protect, whether it's Senator Cory Garter, Tom Tillis, Martha McSally. I mean, are Susan they... Susan Collins. Susan Collins, yeah. I mean, are, are they nervous? What kind of conversations are you having with them? Well, look, we're ready to sit there and, and have the trial the Constitution requires. Uh, different members may have different points of view. Some of my members have said, I am thinking of myself as a juror. Others have been quite vocal, believing the case against President Trump is very thin. Uh, but we're able to continue to do our business. And I, I, I just want to interject here that we've now done 50 circuit court judges. Uh, Barack Obama did 55 in eight years. We've done 50 in three years. And that's exactly what the president and my paperback is about, the judicial uh, process that we've gone through over the last three years that have transformed the courts. One out of every four U.S. Circuit Court judges now is a young man or woman who believes in the quaint notion right. that maybe the job of a judge is to follow the law. Yeah, they say one in four Circuit Court judges are now Trump appointees in your book, The Long Game. Uh, you have the president uh, write the forward to it, and in it, and I talked to you a little bit about this on Radio Center, when you were in Kentucky wearing a similar shirt, you had a casual setting, you made a comment that, I'm, you know, we didn't get as much done as we wanted to because we have a new president who had to get used to things, I'm just paraphrasing. The president blasted back at you. A lot of people wondered, is Mitch McConnell and the president actually going to get along? How would you characterize your relationship? Well, that, that episode was two years ago. I think uh, uh, we've gotten along fine, and we're working together. And the reason he and I both thought we ought to highlight the judicial appointments is we think that's the longest-lasting uh, contribution this administration and this Republican Senate will make to the country. 
Remember, these are lifetime appointments. These young men and women will be on the courts for a very long time, giving both litigants a fair treatment when they come before the court and not making up their mind, not, not trying to legislate from the bench. Senator, do you believe, and you make a good point about this uh, incredible judicial success that the, the administration and yourself have, have brought about, do you believe that's something that by the time we get to the election in November of 2020, that will get more attention and less about impeachment than we're seeing so much now? Well, I do think impeachment is going to fade away. It will all be completed sometime, I assume, in the early part of the year. We all know how this is going to end. The American people, if they think this is a very significant episode, can take it into account. We're voting this year. I mean, most people I run into, whether they're fans of the president or not, uh, say, well, why don't you just let us decide this? We're in the middle of the election. And, and that's really what Karen Tumulty said yesterday, is that the only way that's going to be decided, what the president's going to get into the four years, is, is November uh, for that election. Senator, you're going to be in a tough fight yourself um, in Kentucky, where President Trump has dominated. Why, are, why, are you, uh, why is it so close? Well, I don't know how close it'll be. We'll find out. <clears throat> but look, I'm a big target. I, I'm the second <laughs> most... Uh, despised Republican in America by the political left, and they're sending a lot of money to my opponent, and I'll have a spirited race. Look, I don't own this seat. I have to go out and earn it. Mm -hmm. I'm prepared to do that, to make the case to the people of Kentucky mm -hmm. that having one of the four congressional leaders, I'm the only one of the four congressional leaders not from New York or California. I'm in a very good position to look out for middle America and Kentucky. I think that's a pretty strong argument. <laughs> To make right. to my constituents. You're in a good position, Senator, also to pass along a little bit of knowledge that you put down in the long game. Quickly, as people consider going out and buying that paperback for Christmas, what's the biggest lesson you bring to the American people in that book? Look, politics and governing is hard, and you're going to have setbacks. And if you want to succeed, focus on the things that are important and move the ball forward as rapidly as you can. And the most important thing President Trump and I felt that we could do that would last a long time were these lifetime judicial appointments of men and women right. who are very sharp and who believe the job of the judge is to follow the law. And you also point out you had great parents and you had polio at a young age. It really shaped who you are and how much of a fighter you remain. Senator, thanks so much for sharing your story and getting up with us on a day in which you could easily have taken off. We appreciate it. Merry thanks, Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Senator. All right, 10 minutes now. We have to so here's the thing, you guys. What we're seeing right now is all the sides saying that the impeachment is a hoax. It shouldn't be happening. She should be doing it the right way. She should be responding the right way. She should be talking about things the right way, right? All this stuff is what they're saying. And they're not doing anything about it. They're telling you what's wrong. They're telling you how wrong it is. Right. But they're not doing anything about it. Like, what is Lindsey Graham doing? Has he called anyone to the table? No. Has he investigated anything? No. Has he used the power of the Senate? No. So then this is all just fluff talk. Right. You see what I'm trying to say? I mean, Gates. he said a couple of things. This is actually something interesting that he said which was pretty much fiery and responds to the way most people well, feel. let's start with the impeachment mess as we look ahead to the Senate trial. My next guest continues to fight endlessly for President Trump and the truth amid this endless barrage of nonsense from the Democrats. Member of House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Matt Gaetz joins me now. All right, Congressman, thanks for being with us. Right, so 
you know, as, as all of this is unfolded, I want to look back before we look forward to the Senate uh, and what's going to happen uh, in the new year. But clearly, this impeachment and Nancy uh, Pelosi uh, answered a press question and said, actually, that she's been working on impeachment for two and a half years. So I guess uh, she has pretty much admitted that this is not something that just came up because of Ukraine. That's right, Judge. The radical left Democrats filled the stockings of their anti-Trump base with rumor and innuendo and ultimately impeachment. But the rest of America, we just got a lump of coal. We didn't get an infrastructure bill. We didn't get reform to our asylum systems because Nancy Pelosi has been planning this impeachment since the moment she took power. Matter of fact, Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, even campaigned to his fellow Democrats on the notion that he would be the person to bring us to this point. But the real question, Judge, is why Democrats failed to meet the standard they set for themselves. They promised us a bipartisan impeachment. In reality, the only bipartisan vote was a bipartisan vote against impeachment. They promised us that these hearings would animate a lot of public support for impeachment, and we haven't seen that either. The American people hate this, and if Congress continues it, they may end up hating us. Well, in the end, I mean, they, they, truthfully, I think that Congress moved quickly toward the end of the year is simply because they realize that the support for impeachment is, is almost right now, especially among the independents and those in the middle, it, it is just declining day after day. So I think that they made a decision, well, let's end this soon because it's starting to look bad for us. But let's talk about, in light of what you've been through and the fact that the president was not able to present a case and cross-examine witnesses and, and issue rebuttal and all the things that all the other presidents have been entitled to do, in addition to the fact that this was something not brought by an independent counsel but by one party against this president, um, do you think that things will change in the Senate? How do you think they're going to handle it over there? I know the, the president wants a, an extended trial in the Senate, so he has the opportunity to present a lot of evidence. But, Judge, if this were a case in your court brought by any party, you would dismiss it on a motion to dismiss or a motion for summary, summary judgment, judgment immediately. Yep. And the reason you would do that is because it's not worth judicial labor just for someone to spike the football when the other side hasn't made their case. As we sit here before you now, Democrats failed to produce direct evidence. They failed to get the public on their side. There was no quid pro quo. Matter of fact, the only direct evidence was the president saying he did not want anything other than President Zelensky to do the right thing, to do the work that he had campaigned on. And so if I were in the Senate, I'd be looking to get this nonsense behind us and get on to the work of the Trump agenda. But there are people who say, look, the Republicans have been treated like garbage by the House. They've thrown away all the rules, not just in Congress, but of due process. They have denied this president everything that every other president has been given. This is totally partisan. It predicts, it is a blueprint for any major party throwing out a president of the opposite party. And so maybe it's time to pull the, uh, you know, to pull the, uh, take away the veil and to identify the whistleblower to get Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. I'm all in favor of that. Adam Schiff, I want to know when you got this case. I want to know who you told about it. I want to know what your relationship is with the whistleblower and on and on. I think the American public is entitled to that and we don't have to go on and on for, for months. But don't you think honesty and transparency is important? 
Those are all reasonable questions. They were reasonable questions when the president asked them specifically about the Bidens and Burisma and the corrupt right. activities that they were engaged in globally. Right. But we can conduct oversight in the absence of impeachment. Here's how I'd do it if I were Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham. Step one, impeachment is dead, off the table, over. Let the president and his administration continue their great work for the country. Step two, let's hold some oversight hearings in the Judiciary Committee, in the Foreign Affairs Committee. Let's find out the extent to which we may have had a U.S. administration in the Obama-Biden administration actually cheating. Actually cheating and actually enriching themselves. Now, right after this short break, guys, we are going to be discussing Space Force, what it really means, and how it's already been existing since Eisenhower, but not the way you think. Not the way you think. I'll see you all in a bit. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. There we go. Wow. Tons of disruptions today. Jeez. It's like nobody wants me to talk. I do know that Millie Weaver is putting together a very extraordinary report on stuff we're going to talk about now uh, in regards to Space Force, what it really means, and everything in between. Now... I'm going to start off with just a little one-minute clip of President Trump talking about Space Force, just to get our toes wet. Space. going to be a lot of things happening in space. Because space is the world's newest warfighting domain. Amid grave threats to our national security, American superiority in space is absolutely vital. And we're leading... But we're not leading by enough, but very shortly we'll be leading by a lot. The Space Force will help us deter aggression and control the ultimate high ground. With today's signing, I will proudly appoint General Jay Raymond, the first Chief of Space Operations, and he will become the very first member of the Space Force, and he will be on the Joint Chiefs. He will be on the Joint Chiefs, which we're now expanding by one position. That's a very powerful position. So, General Raymond, congratulations and thank you for everything you've done. So, Space Force. You know, Space Force exists. It's been in existence since, I have to say, since uh, Eisenhower. In fact, it is so um, unknown that OSS exists that nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about what the NRO really is. It was created to be part of the Air Force, but it's not. It has to do with intelligence and spy satellites and satellites and black, what is it called? Their documentation clearly says black contracts, white contracts, and believe it or not, as this agency has evolved over the years, it was a thorn in the side of many presidents recently passed. We're talking post-70s. 
Because what if there was an outside agency that was so outside that even its documents of creation are still blacked out because it was a back channel, a back channel to the CIA, a back channel to the NSA, a back channel to everything, that that agency was supervising others. Just to let you know, this was actually published on December 3rd of this year from the NRO on their YouTube site. Take a listen to how they describe their Office of Space Launch. It took grit, determination, know-how. But we got that satellite into space. Like we've done so many times before. For several decades, in fact. We are OSL, the Office of Space Launch. And we take satellites from idea to orbit. Technically sophisticated satellites that see and hear. Satellites that help find the bad guy, identify problems, and keep us safe. How do we do it? With a steadfast commitment to the mission. And with military, civilian, and industry partners all on the same team. Working to deliver the best our nation has to offer. We do it fast. We do it creatively. We do it together. We know the price that's been paid. We know the future's at stake. It's a duty we don't take lightly. Time away from family and friends is a small price to pay when our purpose is to ensure our freedom. It's our privilege. And because of that, we will find a way. We always have. Whatever it takes. To deliver on the mission with which we've been entrusted. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. It matters that it works. Wow, so it doesn't matter who gets credit. It matters who works. How, uh, that it works. So, are you telling us, Tori, that there's an agency we don't know about where people are literally saving the day and they don't get credit for it? Well, the fact that our president is still in office, the fact that the Mueller investigation was a flop, the fact that we've discovered everything and anything, I kind of have to say, yeah, yes it is. But I want you to listen to this specific part of the video, which is very important. Re-listen, that we can see and... Listen to this. And we take satellites from idea to orbit. Technically sophisticated satellites that see and hear. Wait a minute. Technically sophisticated satellites that they shoot up into space that are technologically super advanced that can see and hear from space. See and hear. Let me introduce you to other facets of the NRO that hasn't been coming out. I mean, I talked about this agency before. You know, it's always nice to um, open up and, you know, let you guys into things that people usually don't talk about. Now, in this 
video that I'm going to play audio, there's an Air Force captain who's talking about signal intelligence and what the mission is of the office. Take a listen. My name is Nate DeLeon, and I have the privilege of working in the Signals Intelligence Directorate, or SIGINT, at the NRO. SIGINT is the exploitation of the enemy's use of the electromagnetic spectrum. So, for practical use, the radars and the invisible waves that ships and airplanes use to look around, by being able to understand their behaviors or their employment, it can directly trace to our leadership's understanding of how the enemy operates. We achieved the SIGINT mission by placing extremely sensitive receivers looking down at the Earth to track those behaviors and listen to them. We do this in the form of a satellite. SIGINT supports the overall mission because oftentimes it's SIGINT that's the first to know that there's some activity that we need to pay attention to. What's really difficult about it, though, is the target set, as in being the RF spectrum, is constantly changing. So there's a lot of variables to consider. Bottom line is we're listening to the bad guys from space by listening. Okay, I'm going to stop right there for a second. So remember how I always tell you I want you guys to think of standing on the moon and looking down, standing on the moon and trying to understand what it is that's going on, right? I've always said that because it's important because just like he described, we stay out there in space and we look at where the hot spots are and where we need to focus on because we can see it from there. Then he goes to say that we're listening to the bad guys from space. We're then able to inform our leadership and our decision makers of what moves to make next, but then we also inform the direct warfighter at the tactical level. My job is to inject upgrades for space protection onto a vehicle that's already being built. So think of purchasing a car in the year 2000 for it to be delivered in 2004. Now while they're bolting the doors on, you realize that there's this new capability called Bluetooth. My job is to assess that need understand what the requirement is or what Bluetooth is going to grant you, and then understand how to integrate it into the system the best way possible. What's innovative about SIGINT is despite the fact that these spacecraft take a very long time to create, we will continue to inject capability. This is called evolutionary acquisition. What this allows us to do is to stay nimble with the times and ensure that we get the most out of our investment for every launch. SIGINT delivers versatile, robust, resilient, and capable assets to the warfighter, to our multinational partners, and to the nation. These capabilities are having direct impact today. Imagine what we can do for the future. So, that gives you a little clue of what... Space Force really is, because for those of you that are military, active now, or 
reservist or veteran, you kind of understand that, and you've probably learned, especially if you're Air Force, that Space Force is simply the intelligence arm of the Air Force now. Those are all the facilities that they are taking over. And you have to think, if the Space Force existed, why was it never designated a branch? Why was it always hidden? And how many capabilities does this Space Force have? I mean, seems like they've been around for a very, very long time. So why don't we know about it? Here's um, what research and development, they tell you they do. I'm Dr. Byron Knight, the NRO's Chief Scientist. My job is to help manage the research and development across the NRO. Research and development, especially in the NRO, which is the most technological space agency in the federal government, is all about finding new things, new applications. And the most important thing that we do is that we find these new applications without the bad guys knowing that we're doing them. The uh, future architecture for the NRO is broken into five 10-year and 20-year segments. At five years, you're talking about things that are within the current president's budget. Ten years is essentially double of that. There are probably modifications to it. The 20 years is really a challenge, and that's where AS&T has uh, been of service to the rest of the NRO, is sort of defining that future vision. There are established successful program offices in the NRO. There are established successful operations in our mission operations directorate. If we do our job right, they will wrench things away from me. That's exactly what I want. Because if they take it on themselves, they're adapting it to their status quo, if you will, their standards of performance. In recent years, and certainly going forward the next decade, the NRO is going to be responsible for much higher levels of integration, and it has very much to do with timeliness. We need to be able to use autonomy, for instance, to provide the information even faster than we used to. I refer to it sometimes as going from uh, hours to days down to seconds to minutes. We have to be able to respond and help people to solve their problems just as fast as they possibly can. Quantum sensing is an example of a new technology area that the NRO is investing in. It has to do with the basics of uh, elemental chemistry. The importance there is that there's new sensing technologies that the NRO could apply. The traditional NRO missions have focused on the eyes and ears, the two human senses that were most uh, natural from space. In recent times, we've been focusing more on other senses, the other three senses, and one of them is touch. We can observe the vibration of, say, a machine. That is evidence that humans reside there. Every summer, I spend a significant amount of my time with our interns, and the conversation often turns to how do I fail and then also be successful. It's not easy for them to hear that failure is uh, not only encouraged, but expected. Without that failure, the NRO doesn't get better at what we do. It is our young engineers who are going to 
come up with those new ideas. And if they don't try different paths, they're never going to find them. So why am I exposing all of this to you? I need you guys to be listening to what they're telling you. They're telling you that they have interns. They're telling you that they are moving forward in all of these little facets that have to do with satellites, spying, and now they're looking at the other senses, so not listening or seeing, but feeling. Touch? Touch? Think about it. Other senses. Touch? Vibrations. Touch? I'm repeating this because it's going to be very, very important post the 2020 elections. The fact that he created Space Force will come on the heels of a lot of disclosure. Remember, it's been operating in the shadows up until the year 2000. So in the year 2000, Clinton decided that it needed to declassify and find out who works where and how. He was interested in finding out who is part of this team that he is unaware of. He needed to know because it was unex- they couldn't explain how during the Reagan and the Bush era and his era, how all of this came to surface. How did they get caught? How did Bush Sr. get caught? How did Bush Jr. get caught with Bush Sr. back in the late 80s? How did the Clintons get locked in? How was everything falling out of control? Who was lighting fires where they weren't supposed to? How did he get impeached? So on his way out, he made sure, wait a minute, I see documents. There's an agency that I can't touch. Well, now I'm going to touch it. But the agency is kind of just there. (laughs) Kind of just there after 2000, doing what's visibly public, what they actually cooperate with other agencies, I would say, and military installations, but there's a whole facet that hasn't been touched. This is why military is reluctant to hand over those sites, and they're pushing and pulling, but now we have a sixth branch specific to that. Remember when I talked about the START agreement, that Putin was very, very keen on making sure it was renewed because it was expiring. Now I'm going to tell you, well, I'm going to play for you an unclassified launch mission that they have put in. Uh, They actually put this together for the people. So I think it's important that you listen to it and you understand that all these years... All these years, this agency has been operating in the shadows, and no one, and no, and <laughs> no one knew. And I'll try to make sure that you don't. That sound is pretty good. Here we go. Go, RC. Clear to proceed. Launch direct. The launch vehicle is ready to launch. The National Reconnaissance Office is focused on overhead intelligence really focused on our satellite systems that are able to provide persistent overhead intelligence, especially focused on areas of denied access. 
a mission manager is responsible for mission integration. And, and what that means is we have a whole team of folks that are responsible for making sure that the launch vehicle is secure, safe, uh, is well built, and it goes through the proper factory processes. We also have a whole team that does that on the satellite vehicle side. My job as a mission manager is to bring those two together and really focus on the payload to launch vehicle interface. I was the mission manager for NRL 55. It's one of those unique jobs that you, you kind of get hand-selected for just based off of job performance. It's a job that's very unique in the Air Force that you, at a very junior level, are able to be responsible for a, a multi-billion dollar satellite. When I started as a mission manager, I was 27 years old. It's been a great experience for me at such a young age to have that opportunity to really excel and to learn, and learn by doing, not by watching others do. Okay, so I just wanted to say something. She said something very important. That you're hand-selected based on job performance or skills. And she said, I'm very young. Because, see, this agency doesn't focus on people that have a long track record. They don't focus on people that they can mold and shape. They focus on people that they know can get the job done. And they will come and find you. They will recruit you. You know how you have scouts in high schools looking out for that football player, for that basketball player? Well, they scout you and they follow you the minute you pop up on their radar. You could be five. I'm not saying at five years old you're going to be dealing with the satellites because that's only one public-facing facet of this community. They hand-select people. They will approach you when you're young. Because when you're young, you don't have alliances. Right? When you're 15, when you're 14, when you're 16, when you're 17, you don't have alliances. You're going to be like, well, Tori, when you're 14, it's not like you could get a job. No. But you're on their radar. And the minute you enter that sweet spot, 16, 17, they approach you and they talk to you. Hey, ever thought about joining the military? You know, you could do a lot of fun stuff. Come over here. That's how they recruit these people. Or they could have not seen you at all, but you popped on their radar for something you said. Because this agency listens and hears. So maybe it's something you said. And they took you on. You know, maybe, you know, you were a specialist in something, or maybe you had a good talent about something, or maybe, you know, you encountered something that you weren't supposed to, you know, something, something that will make them think, I think that person can help, and I think that person is honest enough, so that way, we can have them on board. This is how they operate. This is how they recruit. And she said, I'm really young and I'm working on multi-billion dollar satellites launching into space. Again, Space Force. So being a mission manager for the NRO is a huge benefit to future jobs as a senior officer, having to interact with senior leaders, understanding technical information and being able to communicate that to anybody else who needs to know those details. So I'm responsible for uh, the spacecraft as it processes through the launch base 
gets rolled out to the pad and stacked onto the launch vehicle, and then the actual operation to launch the rocket and put the satellite on orbit. The people who make the decisions, the mission director, the program director, they have a lot of responsibility to make sure that this payload gets put on orbit safely. But the fact is that I'm the guy who knows exactly what's going on with the mission on a day-to-day -day basis, and I'm the one who's explaining all those details to the people that are high up in the organization. Main engine ignition. Two, one, and lift off. So I've launched about 12 missions so far. Each launch is different. Each launch is hard, and you feel great after it gets off the ground and gets up into orbit. I was the mission manager for one launch back in uh, 2009 to 2011. The most favorite job I had in the Air Force so far. Taught me so much about how uh, small we are individually, but how powerful we are as a team. The mission manager job, I think, is really designed to be a junior level. Okay, so I'm just going to say something that she said again. It's just, I'm going to replay that part of how small we are, yet how important we are. Job, I think, is really designed to be a junior level captain early major because it, it gives you an opportunity to learn so much about a system. You learn from the requirements phase to the operations phase. You are involved in every aspect of a mission and it's, it's crucial in the development of Air Force officers and, and future leaders in the NRO. The day of launch was very tense. I remember those last few seconds very vividly. We were all watching the clock and as soon as those rosies ignite and that plume went up around the rocket and we just pray that thing gets off the ground and it did and we had a moment where we could run outside and check it out and, and it was fantastic. Launching is a means to an end. Being able to actually put a satellite in orbit is why we're here. So the fact that my launch vehicle was able to put our satellite in the right orbit at the right time was what mattered. And so once we got confirmation of that, it, it was the, the moment I had been waiting for, which is to really be able to celebrate our accomplishments. My job is the best job in the National Reconnaissance Office. It's been hard and challenging, and that's really what uh, makes the job fun, is working together with the community to put this payload on a for the warfighter. I want to draw your attention to something. She calls it a launch vehicle. The other guy calls it a payload. Why? First of all, they can't tell you what they're putting up there. Some of, these, some of them can tell you that it's a satellite, but what do you know? It's a payload, and it's a launch vehicle. And if you actually go to the NRO's YouTube video, you'll see that when they're talking, their badges are blurred out completely. Um, and these are the public-facing guys because they're Air Force. Because the majority of the people that work for the NRO are contractors. Because one listener, actually four listeners, but one that I saw first, um, you know, Mike texted me just a little while ago. How do they get paid? Well, that's why we work with other military installations, right? Because you have to explain it. But think about it. How many of these launches did you see? All you hear about is SpaceX and NASA. Did you ever hear about these? Not really. And who knew about these? Overhead reconnaissance is a unique capability that the NRO brings to the fight to secure our nation, and the Air Force plays a vital role in that mission. 
The NRO mission manager assignment is no doubt one of the coolest jobs on the planet. Launching multi-billion dollar satellites into orbit to deliver the right information at the right time to warfighters and intelligence analysts. But the fact is, there are a ton of amazing jobs in the NRO. And joining our team is not simply a career move, it's a calling to serve a truly unique mission. As a mid-grade Air Force officer, you'll work with thousands of dedicated service members and civilians at the cutting edge of technology, providing safety and security for the American people and our friends around the globe. Visit us online at nro.gov to learn more about our amazing team and mission. So now you know that we've had a space force for a very long time. And what a lot of people question, and very rightly so, is how is it that, you know, They've been funded. Are you saying that the clowns didn't know that they existed? They did, but they didn't. See, their documentation, those that are unclassified, and there's not much, you can see that presidents like Clinton, since Clinton and Obama, have demanded the majority of all their operations to be declassified. FOIA requests have been done by a gentleman named Greenwald. Nobody knows who this guy is, but they've been asked and pushed, and yet they conceal. And you have to think, what would be above? Like, what magical position could be there where, at their discretion, can be disclosed to the President of the United States? Think about it, that there's someone that is the ultimate checks and balances in why, right? You have to think about that. So the fact that President Trump, the minute he said, you know, Space Force, that was when panic set in to the clowns because he apparently had access or was contacted or was approached by operations that don't have a name, that don't have a catalog of people that are literally out of this world kind of things. There was a campaign, an innovation campaign they put together, which is very important you listen to. And the thing is, I don't want to step on on, um, toes because there's a really good um, piece being being put together. So I thought I'd stick to the public-facing stuff because I don't have time due to things that I'm going through to actually write this out for you guys. But there are other journalists, and you know, that's the motto of the NRO. It doesn't matter who takes credit or who puts it out there and who's the face. It matters if it works. I've said that before. It doesn't matter if your name's on it. Sometimes I'm pretty sure that a lot of people that put payloads up or capital, human capital up on their you know, vehicles out there would love to be like, whoa, look, did you just launch that? And it's like, oh, we can't tell people we launched anything kind of thing. Feel a little bit salty, right? Because <laughs> we're human. We love to be to get praise and applauded. 
So there are facets of it that are very front-facing, and that is necessary for funding. But when you've been set up the way you've been set up, could be that the financials are kind of like, oh, you know, there's like this dummy account in almost every agency that people need to pay, kind of like a tax, let's pretend, and then it just goes straight to them to fund things people shouldn't know are being funded. CubeSats. CubeSats. What is a CubeSat? different tool in the toolbox and we haven't really quite discovered how they're going to be used yet. This is really paving the way in, in understanding how we can use CubeSats to fit into our architectures, to, to work in our ASMT, to work into our space missions in ways we haven't really practiced. CubeSat is a containerized nanosatellite. Uh, it was uh, based on a standard that was developed back in 1999 and what we mean by containerization is a, uh, providing a, uh, a common interface across launch vehicles. And it's a, the CubeSats are deployed out of what we call a poly-pico satellite orbital deployer. It's essentially a, a jack-in-the-box the size of a loaf of bread. Um, it has a, a spring in the bottom and a hinged plate on the top. And so um, when it receives the deployment signal, the top opens and the, the CubeSat is ejected by the spring. Um, and it goes into its desired orbit. A Peapod has a standard mechanical interface and it drives what the actual external volume dimensions are for a cube satellite. And as long as you meet the design specifications of that internal volume, which is defined by the Peapod, uh, you can fly and go on orbit on practically any launch vehicle um, that exists today. So the NRO... Uh... I just wanted to say something. So we talked about how uh, launches happen and we didn't see it. But now let's talk about launches that can happen anywhere. The size of these cubes, right, are not that big. Just like you said, it's a loaf of bread. Think of how many satellites or things are deployed into the space by many countries. How difficult would it be for a loaf of bread to be attached on any vehicle that's being traveled? I'm just saying. What if, you know, a private organization was launching something and we needed to have eyes on where it was going? I don't know, Mars or the dark side of the moon or the rings of Saturn or the moons of Saturn of Jupiter, of Uranus, everything, right? So think about it. Tiny, tiny thing that can listen and see anything and self-deploy. So the minute it pops up, it unfolds and expands and expands and expands in outer space. You'd be like, whoa, that sounds super sci-fi. I didn't know we could do that. Well, they were doing that in the 90s. So that's something you would think would be happening now in 2019. 
So think of what they did in the 70s. And then think of what they may have done in the 50s or 60s. Seems like great presidents always have something to do with space, don't they? Um, has an infrastructure-based approach to CubeSats in that um, we provide a government bus, two generations of colony bus. We provide a ground architecture through our MC3 ground stations. And we also provide launch opportunities for government and academic CubeSat projects. So we, we have an integrated approach that provides um, basically a, a end-to-end service for a CubeSat user in the government. So the infrastructure is there, and now I just put a mission in. So for the university folks, space was unattainium because I had to build this whole infrastructure up every time. CubeSats are allowing us an opportunity to explore that trade space of a different concept of space as an infrastructure that services missions, not a mission that I have to build a space infrastructure around. One thing that CubeSats and containerized nanosats offer is this uh, ability in a short time frame to experience end-to-end -end design. So a given engineer or program manager can see a project from uh, design to uh, construction to orbital deployment um, in, in a short time span of time, so you see the whole process. And the same goes true for academic partners as well. Uh, students can see a project from start to finish within the course of an undergraduate career. So CubeSats are really providing a methodology to train the next generation on, on a significantly lower cost, lower risk. And that combined with, with how it's affecting imagination really is reaching to the next generation of space and allowing us to pursue things that were only in Dreamscape five, ten years ago. The technology is advancing on a miniaturized scale so quickly that if you have an eight to ten year development cycle, you're locked into older technology by definition. Whereas with a shorter development cycle, you'll incorporate advances just by when you're acquiring products and when you're acquiring long lead items. Um, so the, the faster you can develop things and get them on orbit, just the more recent the technology will be. On a, uh, a periodic basis of once or twice per year, uh, launch a technology, fly it, operate it, receive data on how it performs, be able to modify it on the ground and fly the next generation within a year. Of course, the more um, the government and, and the academy demands uh, technological innovation to fit in a smaller form factor, uh, it feeds itself. So the, the more advancements come and the more there's demand in the market, the more new vendors come onto the scene and the more, um, the more opportunities there are to do innovative things on orbit. I, I like to call it boxes of innovation. If I have a good demarcation point, if I have a good touch point to that infrastructure, then the only thing that's holding things back on that other side is imagination. Uh, one example that we have is uh, a CUBE satellite that's on orbit now. It was deployed off of NRO-L36. It's called RAY, and it's part of the uh, space-based telescopes for actionable refinement of ephemeris program. The ultimate uh, concept for STAIR is to create um, a no multiple nodes to police LEO uh, to improve uh, the understanding of orbital debris and um, uh, controlled satellites as well. There were collisions on orbit and debris that was spread from this that uh, threatens um, assets such as the International Space Station. There's uh, several pathfinders that we're flying right now. Eventually, uh, uh, the plan is to lead to a constellation of 18 or 24 uh, LEO observers that are part of this STAIR network.
it's hard to say what will happen in five to ten years, and that's what's exciting about this program, is that the technology can drive us to places we would not have anticipated uh, even five years ago. Definitely containerized nanosats uh, are here to stay. Uh, how the NRO chooses to use them in the toolbox is to be determined. Um, there's a lot of exploration going on right now and learning going on with the community to uh, determine what the most uh, uh, utility is with flying these containerized systems. If I can work on providing a launch service that allows you to get all these CubeSats up there, if I can provide you a common bus that people can integrate with, if I can provide you a command and control that once you get up there, for a marginal cost, now I can fly your mission, then what mission can't I do? The CubeSat program delivers intelligence value, mission support, and innovation. The technology can drive us to places we would not have anticipated. We are leaders in innovation. So, the NRO, also now known as Space Force. So will they declassify everything there is to know about the NRO? Will they redact, will unredact a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of information? I highly doubt it. I don't think the world is ready for it yet. I mean, at this point, we still have people thinking that George Soros is like a key player. He's the lowest one on the totem pole. You remember back in 2018 at one point, I had said, when she lost, they didn't expect it. They controlled everything. How did she lose? They lost their mind. She didn't come out to give a speech. They had to talk about a plan. What was the plan? How are we going to fix this? Eyes up. Where are we going? That was the discussion that was being held. We talked about that over a year ago, actually. It was right before Christmas. How funny is that? And now we see that we're at this point, three years into this administration, this president has done so much, not just for the nation, but for the people of this world. The FISA court was their public facing, their last ditch effort to get this coup going, to get it done, to get it finished and to eradicate any hope any man, woman, or child could have. But there were people, people that you'll never see, never know. Like I said, they could be the baker at your local bakery, Toys R Us guy, I'm just saying, that have all participated, like the motto, of all those in the NRO is, doesn't matter who gets credit, it's just that it gets done. Think about how many times they've probably saved the world over and over again. And you know how it's successful to have an agency? Wow, you can't even say it's an agency because there's agencies among and within agencies, within agencies, within agencies. And the last clip I played you from their website from 2018 was 
just recently unclassified. This is information from 2013. You know, cubes were always the focus of some certain technology that the most powerful people on the planet wanted access to. Reverse engineering things like that gives you insight. If you can't reverse engineer the original cube, I mean, you at least get something out of it. Call it a jack-in-the-box. What's that thing about the TARDIS? It's bigger on the inside. Could you imagine a loaf of bread size expanding to a satellite form where they can right now be listening to me in my little home studio talking to you? Or they could be listening in to Nancy Pelosi drowning her sorrows at the bottom of a bottle of a, of a bottle of scotch. Or Nadler eating chicken. I'm just saying. This agency has capabilities beyond anything you can imagine. And like you said, this is what we have, but it's all about imagination. Like they told you, you're hand-selected for slots. Now, obviously, for that young woman, you know, think about it. Could you imagine being 25, 26 and being the head of a program dealing with multi-billion dollar, what do they call it, transport vehicles? Could you imagine being responsible for ensuring the payload is secure? Payload. Listen to the words. Listen to how careful they are. Now, there's many ways of communication, many ways of spying. I've always said, how do you know I wasn't a fly on the wall? How do you know I wasn't there, but you didn't, you know, I'm just hypothetically saying. Hmm? There's technology, and our president told us that, didn't he? He said, oh, you won't believe the technology we have. For someone like President Trump to say that to the public, this guy that has billions of dollars at his disposal to buy the best of the best, you know, your new Pixel or iPhone or, you know, self-cleaning floor cleaner or an LG house is nothing compared to what we have. This guy has seen it all, right? President Trump had seen it all. He had access to all. But he turned around and told you, boy, we have some insane technology. What does that tell you? That maybe he got some magical access because it was do that or let it slide. At some point, there would be too much power to be able to evade and we, you know, they have full control over everything. So it was planned. Who's the good person? How are we going to push it? How are we going to do it? Now, if the people know, right, if there is disclosure of knowing the technology advancements, then it's out in the public. And as free people, we will demand accountability. We will demand that things are used correctly. We will demand that there's regulation so that people that are not good people, people like, you know, the Pelosi's of the world or the Schumer's of the world, can't take advantage of that technology. I mean, how would you feel, let's pretend, 
let's just totally pretend that we had technology that can, on a TV screen, project the next 20 months. So let's pretend that there was technology that would let you see, as of today, if there are no diversions or any surprises, the way things are going, here's where we'll be in 20 months. What if that fell into the hands of Pelosi? What if that ha fell in the hands of someone like Clinton or Soros? You know, the names you know about. Or into those evil reptilian type crown royal blue blooders. What would that ha how would that happen? What if you could go into or tell the program, hey, I'm going to tell you that right now, we're going to do XYZ that is a major event. Now, tell me how that will turn out. What if we pass a law that does that? Tell me how it will turn out. Because the more ability you have to foresee, the more you can fine-tune your actions to get them where you want. And you know who uses that kind of technology? Dictators. Do you know who else uses that technology? You know, plantation owners. And I'm sorry, we're free human beings. So that kind of technology shouldn't be in the hands of those that crave power. And all we see now is a bunch of clowns craving for power and clinging on for dear life. Now, how many of those that support these clowns actually know the power that they're chasing? Not many. They just know that there's a lot of money, a lot of networking. It's always on a need-to-know basis. It's something that... They even tell you it's a need to know. You know, I I, I want to say something that um, kind of startled me. Is when I thought about the immense technology we have and how it was used against us by the previous administration. When the elections were coming for Hillary Clinton, I could foresee obviously, with everything that Barack Hussein Obama was doing, that we'd have no borders between us and Canada, and we would kind of mesh with Europe. It would have been just one big global nation under one ruling. The whole goal was the planetarchy, right? And I think they struck a deal with China because, you know, Brennan, the Chinese were way ahead only because they are a communist government, and all the communist leaders know all about this more advanced technology, right? This is why they're so much better at things in regards to innovation. Now, I know we say we don't want them stealing our intellectual property because there's only so much you can do with reverse engineering things that you know about. The human component can never be replaced. The human mind being inserted into technology or merging with technology, something Epstein and all these nefarious Harvard guys have been dropping a lot of coin for. Merging the human mind with some form of technology. I mean, they took it to the level of transhumanism and stuff. That's what they were experimenting in Ethiopia with the Jeffrey Epstein Foundation. But instead of going that end, right, think about it. When you merge the mind with technology, do you need to put microchips to move faster? No, you don't. 
Your body is faster than any microchip out there. Your mind is faster than any microchip out there. Could you imagine if they knew how to rewrite information or insert, in, like download information into people's brains? You remember that guy that in California that punched that kid on campus and the kid sued and then they sealed the case? He actually worked, well, yeah, worked on imaging and was part of a laboratory that was being funded by the Barack Hussein Obama administration called the Brain Initiative. That is exactly what they were doing. But not only were they trying to see how they can manipulate the intake of information, they were trying to see how they could probe, literally, physically, like probe, like they were putting things in people's brains to stimulate fear in a person in order to have them submissive. This sounds super crazy, but it's on there. You could Google the Brain Initiative. It's a government-funded program. They tell you they're doing this. There is so much we're going to find out now. The FISA warrant is, I'm telling you, it's only the beginning. It is clearly only the beginning. That's what you need to remember. This is just the beginning. This is nothing. Post-2020, you're going to find out about things that existed that you never even, you would never even fathom. I mean, it'll put Back to the Future 3 on the back burner as like some, you know, child's play. Stay tuned for more coming this way in regards to this. For now, all we can say is we should be praying. We have a praying president, not necessarily your, you know, cup of tea or super Christian, but he prays because the collective good thought and promotion of hope is what initiates that energy for us to move forward. On that note... Let's be grateful for Space Force, and let's get ready for Christmas. Any of you making turkey, you better take it out of the freezer today. I'll see you guys tomorrow, same time, same place.